successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show. And online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello everybody and welcome to the Grill Nation Show with Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us today on KMBZ 980 AM. If you're joining me on the radio today on uh, we're on podcasts, all podcast networks. Apple, Spotify, uh, Google, and Stitcher, as well as at our website, grillnationshow.com. Appreciate everyone for going to the website and connecting with our guests each and every week. And I really appreciate uh, all those who have been uh, reaching out to be on the show, as well as listeners who have uh, been providing great feedback here recently. We've had a great year so far. I can't believe it's uh, it's August and uh, today's show is going to be great. We're, we have one of our uh, really smart and really, really just interesting collaborators with the Grill Nation show joining us today, FTW Investments. Her website is ftwinvestmentsllc.com. We throw a backslash Grill Nation, and we'll talk more about what you can find there. But again, ftwinvestmentsllc.com backslash Grill Nation. Uh, we're joined today by uh, two co-founders of the organization, uh, Parker Webb and Logan Freeman. Welcome to the show, uh, gentlemen. How are you? Good. Thank You're you. doing great, Jason. Glad great. to be back. It's great to have you back, man. This feels like home now. <laughs> so for those that are uh, are just joining us for the first time and, and listening on the radio or connecting, uh, give us an overview, Logan, real quick about what FTW Investments does. So FTW Investments is a private equity uh, company here in Kansas City. Uh, primarily, our holdings are in the real estate space right now. And uh, we're giving access to investors uh, that don't necessarily want to manage toilets, tenants, and trash. We're giving access to these types of investments. You know, I would say at an institutional level in regards to being able to invest into multifamily and commercial properties, they wouldn't be able to buy uh, by themselves and they don't have to manage them, but still reap all the benefits of investing in real estate. So that's what FTW Investments is offering uh, our investors. And you know, we're a rapidly growing company here in Kansas City, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, I think that's the, the high level. Yeah, and uh, I appreciate you doing that, uh, just so everyone can, uh, can re- understand that again. And then Parker Webb uh, has not yet joined us on the show. Parker, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, and, and I know there's some uh, couple congratulations in order. We'll get to that here in a second. <laughs> Yeah, so Parker Webb, I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of FTW Investments. Uh, I come from a long background of uh, you know entrepreneurial businesses uh, and real estate and construction and related businesses, and excited to talk about uh, what we're up to, what we're seeing in the marketplace, and ways that we we see the opportunities for investors to get involved in our space. You uh, you recently had a child, correct? I did. Yeah, so I think we're. Day 11 right now. <laughs> so if you can see the bags under my eyes, I haven't gotten a whole lot of sleep the last last week and a half. You got a lot of stamina in you, man, if you're in this world. <laughs> so I, I think you're going to be fine. I'm sure Logan can give you some really good advice on that. Absolutely. All the time. 
<laughs> you all, uh, you had a recent article in the business journal I read, uh, I think it was uh, probably actually this week. Tell us about that. Uh, I saw quotes in there and just an exciting new endeavor that you guys have, have taken on. Absolutely. So this this property we just acquired in, in Midtown, it's the uh, former hostess headquarters building at the southeast corner of Armour and Maine. And what's really cool about this property is it's a it's about a 40,000 square foot property, including the basement. And we're going to take that basement and actually turn it from storage to really usable space. So uh, it's a really cool office building. We're going to be fully renovating it. Um, the streetcar constructors are one of our tenants. They occupy about half the building. Um, and we're going to have a, you know some really cool concepts kind of coming to this space as well. But we took a building that was effectively vacant. Uh, negotiated in a way to lease the building up before we closed, close on an excellent deal for our investors. And and that's just one of the projects that we're doing there in Midtown. And we're doing that project with the Clemens Real Estate Group. Um, and they are, you know, big players in Midtown, kind of multifamily real estate. So we're excited uh, about this project and excited to have a project right on the streetcar. I mean, the, the stop is going to be right outside our window. Yeah, talk to us about that because um, I'm just kind of curious, kind of what what that's been like. Uh, obviously, we see all the construction, and I remember mm-hmm. we had the first kind of uh, when the streetcar first started. That was a, that was a hot topic, but then now that it's it's functional and it's been successful, it seems like seems like Midtown is one of those areas that I think has so much potential. So it's pretty cool that you guys are there. And you know, do you have any forecast on when the streetcar actually be completed? Has have, have you learned any about that or? Can you share anything about that since you're going to be right on it? From everything that we know, it's, it's looking like end of 2024 or kind of spring of 2025 when that'll be, you know, up and running and, and kind of full capacity. So we are, you know, a couple years away, but we're still, you know, really excited about it. And I think, uh, you know, all the groups that are in the building or coming to the building that are attracted to this building, the streetcar is a huge reason for that. I mean, everybody's really excited about that and, and the access it'll provide to downtown, River Market, the plaza. It's going to be great. I can't wait. just can't wait to see it happen. And I think, I just think Midtown has so much potential. And, and we're, we are seeing a lot of folks like you uh, and a lot of people investing in Midtown. So that'll be very exciting. Uh, Logan Freeman and Parker Webb are joining us today. FTWinvestmentsllc.com is their website. I'm uh, really excited to have them as a collaborator on the show. They give us great advice, great insight. Uh, really kind of take us through what we should be thinking about. And I, I love, I love getting Logan's emails uh, because if you get on their email list, he, he makes these, these types of issues that for me are very complex to understand. Very simple by using a lot of uh, real world examples, which we'll get into some today about investing and some, some things that have happened and some things that are good and some things that are bad. And I think, I think that really makes it a, a lot easier to understand. And so on today's show, uh, guys, we're going to be talking about, you know, what is the difference between being a real estate investor and being in the business of real estate investing? We're going to break into should you be a direct or indirect investor? Uh, what is a real estate syndication and why does it make sense? That one is uh, above my pay grade. Uh, so I'm looking forward to hearing about that. And then finally, we're going to hopefully talk about why you should invest with the right partner and how you do that, as well as many other topics along the way. 
Um, you guys put out a great blog, and a lot of these 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 questions and stories come from that blog. How often do you put that out? Because it's uh, it's pretty beneficial. Yeah, I think that you know what we've tried to do on the communication to investors and prospective investors is just that: is tell stories and relate them back to a complex issue, which is commercial real estate investing, and make it very simple so a lot of people can grasp that. And we we do that on a weekly basis. Uh, so it takes a lot of time. You got to come up with a lot of good content. And, um, you know, I will give you guys a little insider tip. We definitely have some help on the copywriting side of things to, to make those ideas really jump off of the page. But at the end of the day, you know, we want to make sure our investors, when they join uh, our list, is, is to get educated because that is the number one issue that a lot of folks have for not investing into commercial real estate is they don't know how, where to start and, and how to break down these, uh, these private placements and all these different things. So um, educating our investors has been a, a huge opportunity for us to, to build those relationships with those investors. So not only are we doing that on a weekly basis, we have a monthly webinar series. We have other um, different action guides and trainings that we have available that we've talked about here on the show as well. But it's weekly, Jason. Unbelievable. Makes me just get so much energy out of it. Very excited about it. We'll be right back after the break. We're going to talk all about these issues and so much more on the Grill Nation show today. Thank you for joining us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show with Jason Grill. Thank you for joining us again, whether you're listening on the radio, on podcasts, on our website, or if you've joined us on my social media for this live stream, we will post this uh, video to a YouTube page, uh, Grill Nation show with Jason Grill. Also, we will be sharing updates throughout the week on social media, and you can connect to our guests, Parker Webb and Logan Freeman. The website is ftwinvestmentsllc.com backslash Grill Nation. Um, at that website, uh, Logan, uh, just again, tell us what we can, we, we can expect and what we can download there. Yeah, Parker and I put together what we call our passive investing roadmap. And it's just simply a document that really details all the, the different uh, steps that it takes to invest in uh, one of these projects, but also breaks down a lot of the terminology that we use. And so you'll see things like net operating income, capitalization rates, cash on cash return, internal rate of return. And so we define all of those different uh, metrics, but also kind of break down what it would be like to actually invest one of these projects. So it's our passive investing roadmap. And uh, you just simply put your email in there and, and we'll email that, uh, that to you guys. Great, great. Let's, uh, let's continue on here. Uh, first question I have is, uh, came out of one of your blogs, which again is at ftwinvestmentsllc.com. And, you know, I want to know the difference between being a real estate investor, per se, and being in the business of real estate. What what does that mean? And uh, take us through the, the, the main differences there. You bet. So I think one of the critical things here is that, you know, being a real estate investor is like being a stock investor or a bond investor, right? That means that your portfolio has exposure to real estate. So you can be a real estate investor by investing directly, you know, owning rental property. You can be a real estate investor by, you know, buying REIT stocks and, you know, having exposure to the real estate marketplace that way. So there's all kinds of ways that you can get exposure in your portfolio to real estate that make you a real estate investor without being in the business of real estate investment. 
the business of real estate investment is, you know, really it's a, it's a structured business that's designed to identify, close, operate real estate properties for the purposes of producing investment returns, right? And so if you are, you know, owning a single rental property and kind of that's your only exposure to real estate, that's one thing. But the way real estate investment businesses are designed is that they are at all times generating opportunities for investment at all times, managing these assets to produce particular results. At all times, they're tracking the marketplace to determine times to buy and sell those assets to refinance or sell an asset because of you know particular things happening in the capital markets. And so it's, it's different, right? Real estate investment businesses require full teams of people in the acquisitions and marketing and investment relations and, um, you know, asset management versus, you know, just having some REIT stock. Mm-hmm. So you're essentially explaining to us, uh, it kind of is also what, what being a direct investor versus indirect investor is. Is that right? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, you you could be a direct investor in real estate without having a real estate related business or a real estate investment business. If you had, if you directly own by yourself a rental property, right? You're directly investing in real estate. If you're indirectly in real estate, then there's ways you're doing that, whether it be through REIT stock, that would be an indirect investment to real estate. You don't own the, you know, the real estate itself, but rather you own stock that is supported by real estate assets um, or real estate syndications and, and real estate funds, which is what the space that we play in, which is that our investors invest with us and then our real estate investment business has identified opportunities, uh, will raise the capital for those opportunities, secure debt for those opportunities, and manage a business plan uh, that will ultimately you know, produce a, an investment return. Wow. And did you coin that phrase, Parker? <laughs> um, I, I think I, I might have. Uh, we, you know, we talked about this a lot, and I think uh, you know, a lot of folks who are you know, real estate investors think that there's this sort of natural next process of becoming in the business of real estate investing. A lot of people think they go from real estate investor to in the business of real estate investing. I don't think that's right for most people. I mean, if you're you know, really good at what you do or you're, you, know, you work in tech or you're a doctor or attorney or whatever else it is that you do, it's probably in your best interest to continue to do that, not to transition to being in the business of real estate investing, but that doesn't mean you can't still get exposure in your portfolio by investing in real estate through any of the ways that we just mentioned, including real estate syndications and funds. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things you need to think about when uh, making these decisions. And uh, I wanted to kind of go through those. Logan, if you want to start us off, um, you know, on, on the blog, you talk about control, learning curves, risks and diversification. How do these play a part in deciding whether you should be a direct or indirect investor? Okay, so Parker and myself and our other business partner, Corey, who will never be on the show because he just <laughs> will not do that, but um, all three of us are control freaks to an extent. And what I mean by that is when we go out to set out a project, we know how us three are going to operate, how we're going to think about where our values are, and, and being able to control the trajectory of that investment is a very important thing uh, for us. We've talked about this on the show, Jason, the five commandments of business, and the first one being control and how important that is for us. And so when you have control as a direct investor, uh, you, you can make the decisions that need to be made and move that investment either forward or backwards if you're not uh, making the right decisions. And so the, what, what the difference is, is when you're a direct investor, depending on where you're at in your journey and you know the, the resources that you have, you're going to be capped out at some point because opportunities are scarce right now. Capital, um, everybody gets you know, capped out on the capital that they have. And so being able to have control 
of an investment is very important for us as sponsors because we have the experience of over you know 200 or 300 million dollars worth of transactions in the last couple of years um, so we know what to expect and what roadblocks we might have to come uh, that might come to fruition and so that's the first piece is is making sure that you understand the control and here's the here's the second piece of control is most of our investors do not want control they do not want control uh, mostly because they don't have the time the experience, the knowledge to, to be able to make those right decisions in that process. And so uh, I think it's really important if you decide to go buy a single family home, I always say, Parker and I always say that there's nothing passive about actively owning real estate. And so you'll hear this term, you know, passive income quite a bit. I'm going to go buy a single family home and rent it out. I will break your bubble right now. There's nothing passive about that. Even if you have a property manager, you're going to be needing to work with them on a regular basis. So um, when you're thinking about being indirect or direct, you have to think about how much control you're willing to give up, how much do you actually want on that spectrum, and how much should you actually take on. So that's the first piece, Jason. It's always a lot more than you think it's going to be. That's right. <laughs> so it does help to have people uh, advising you and then controlling it. Parker, why don't you pick up there with kind of some of the learning curves and uh, some of the risks that you have to really think about? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Warren Buffett said this in the past, right? Risk is what you don't know, right? And so when you come back to that, you know, kind of piece about control, right, is who do you want in control? Who do you want making the decisions about your investment? Do you want it to be you? Uh, and if you have sufficient knowledge and expertise, then that might be a good decision. And if you don't, it probably makes sense that you enlist the you know, experience and the you know, intelligence and expertise of people who you know, have that uh, so that they can exercise that control. Because ultimately, that experience uh, helps to de-risk anything that you're doing. Um, I think one of the other big pieces is data, right? I mean, you know, one of the things is us in, in, the, in the business of real estate investing is that we have incredible access to huge swaths of data that we're able to use and manipulate, run regressions on and do all that fun stuff that Logan doesn't want to do um, that, we, <laughs> that we then are able to make, you know, risk models and all that. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of risk in, in, in any investment and being able to understand that risk and to a certain extent quantify that risk is hugely important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, that always leads to diversification, right? And that obviously limits your risk. Is that right? Yeah, it does. You know, and I think you know where you know where you're an expert is is probably where you you often lean heavier, right? I mean, we know a lot of folks in tech that you know they're probably biggest portion of their portfolio is tech, biggest portion of our portfolio is real estate. There's a reason for that. Um, but diversification is important, and the way that we look at diversification is what's interesting about real estate specifically as an asset class is you can be solely invested in real estate and still have a diverse portfolio, meaning that the correlation of your investment return is not uh, so correlated that it would qualify as diversified because you can diversify by geographies and property type, right? You can invest in the coast, you can invest in the Midwest, the South, you can invest in multifamily, industrial, hospitality, office, retail, self-storage, all kinds of different ways that you can invest. And so through that, you can actually produce a diversified portfolio within uh, just the real estate asset class alone. Man, I need to I need to start working hard so I can start <laughs> maybe do a little diversification. So you got key questions you got to ask yourself, you know. But what is the bottom line? What are the like you know the three to four you know key questions that somebody needs to tackle when they're talking about uh, indirect or direct? I know yeah. them, but let's let's kind of let's kind of bullet them out so it's it's, it's easier to understand here. Absolutely, and I want to make sure that people understand that you can take advice and recommendations from others. But ultimately, it's a question that only you can answer to be direct or indirect. And we love Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, Howard Marks. And they're always talking about mental models. And one of Charlie Munger's main mental models is to invert. 
And so when you think about inverting this question of, hey, should I be a direct investor or indirect investor? You should ask yourself, how would I fail at being an investor? And in that scenario, it would, like, it would likely be to jump headfirst into one or the other without knowing the risk and reward. So you always have to invert, but it always is a, a question that you have to, to answer for yourself. Now, I'll give you three questions to ask yourself in regards to trying to figure out if the indirect or direct model is, is better for you. Um, and the first one is how much time and energy do you want to commit to this type of investment? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all have busy lives. We've got jobs, we've got families, we've got hobbies, all of those different things. So really it comes down to time and energy. How much do you want to commit to your investments? The second one is being how much capital do you have to invest? You know, I mean, imagine if you had $200,000 to invest, okay? If you're going to be a direct investor, Right now, you still have to put 20 to 25% down on a property. So that's going to limit you to one or two properties out there in the commercial space right now in Kansas City. Um, but if you had $200,000 to invest and you wanted to be an indirect investor, you could go find five or six different investments potentially and put twenty-five into to $50,000 into those projects and really get that diversification that Parker was mentioning. So the second question is how much capital do you have to invest? And the third one, are you willing to commit to the education required to be an active investor. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of podcasts and a lot of resources out there that will tell you, hey, get into this deal with no money down and you're going to do great. Well, after, you know, transacting as much real estate as we have, uh, I will tell you the answer, the, my, our recommendation is that's not true. You know, I mean, you really need to be educated, um, not, alone, not only just on buying and acquiring, but on finance, on asset management, operations, dispositions, um, the legal structures that you use to purchase these properties, tax implications. There's so much that comes to uh, fruition when we talk about the education. So we got to go to break here, Logan. Okay. You're listening to the Grill Nation show. We'll be right back. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us. Uh, however you're listening or watching, we greatly appreciate it. Again, you can connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Jason Grill. We will post links of uh, our shows, podcasts, you know, some of our video segments uh, for each and every one of you to, to view on that on our social media. And also, if you don't want to be on the guest, Grill Nation Show as a guest, just send me an email at uh, grillnationshow at gmail.com. We'd love to collaborate, partner with groups such as the one we're talking to today, FTW Investments. Their website is ftwinvestmentsllc.com backslash Grill Nation, where you can download a free and comprehensive passive aggressive, excuse me, passive investor. I had a little bachelorette on my mind from my <laughs> passive investment guide. We, uh, we're back with Logan Freeman and Parker Webb, learning a lot and having some fun as well. Um, I want to start with, uh, with syndicates because that was another blog that you all put up uh, and why real estate syndicates make sense and kind of what they are. So let's start there. For either one of you, kind of take us through what a real estate syndicate is and why they're so popular. Well, I first want to make sure that people understand that we're not a part of the mob and <laughs> we're not uh, the Kansas City syndicate, so it's a little bit different. So um, now these these syndications are simply a, a mechanism or a structure for people to pool resources, not just capital, but knowledge and experience together to go purchase 
or to go acquire something that the, that they would not be able to buy themselves. So a larger property and being able to capitalize on the knowledge and the experience of that real estate sponsor uh, to bring great investment returns uh, to the project. So a syndication is just a is an, a mechanism for people to invest into that gives them exposure to commercial real estate and they get to leverage a sponsor's knowledge and experience. Yeah, let's break some of that down. Take us yeah. through some of the main reasons that real estate syndicates kind of make a lot of sense right now. Let me jump in here and say, so, you know, like like Logan said, this is a structure where, you know, people get to pool their assets, right? And so what that means typically is that we're going to have a, an LLC, a limited liability company that we're going to establish. And then in, investors get to invest into that LLC that then owns real estate investments. And so that provides a whole lot of different benefits, right? So A, you know, sponsors like us who have expertise in particular markets, particular market areas, uh, we can then be in control of executing a business plan to make sure that we have the best chance of producing a high investment return. Um, Two, you have the ability to get diversification. So you have, you know, the ability to go into with any amount of capital, a lot of these syndications and get a broad exposure to a number of different assets as opposed to having, you know, your limited resources go towards one or two or three properties. Um, and I would say three, you have the ability to also leverage multiple different sponsors, right? So I'd say you, you not only have to you know, invest with sponsors like us, but there's a lot of sponsors out there doing different kinds of projects in different spaces like industrial and hospitality and retail. And so you have the ability to go get a, a broad kind of cross section of real estate by, by kind of piecing your money out into multiple properties rather than uh, kind of just going into a couple. So many great, great things. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Again, on the blog, it talks about efficiencies, true diversification, like you said. There's no learning curve. It looks like it's something that people should really be investing in. Um, you, you, we talked about risk. We talked about hedging uh, against inflation in past shows. Low volatility. I mean, this seems like the safer route for people who are, uh, who are really trying to get engaged. The last thing I'll say, too, on that front is the tax benefits of investing into real estate. And so we have multiple investors that have reached out to us and and want to understand how the structure uh, applies to them in regards to being able to take uh, the cost segregation studies and apply bonus depreciation. Probably a whole other segment that we won't get into right now, but one of the main benefits of investing in real estate is it has cash flow, but it has amazing tax benefits to be able to say, hey, we have a paper loss in year one. You know, typically somewhere between 50 and 75% of the invested equity um, that you get to show on your, on your K1, which is your partnership return. Uh, whenever we send that to you in April or whenever that is. And so at the end of the day, the tax benefits of investing into these real estate syndications drive a lot of people into the real estate space as well. Quick question just on kind of what we're looking at here as far as a, a final capital investment. I mean, what is the range? That's a question I probably have asked you before, but I think that's really important right now for people who, you know, the economy is is getting better, but we also still have a lot of issues with uh with rentals and with eviction moratoriums and with, you know, cost of living and, you know, inflation, as Logan has talked about many times. I mean, what what are we looking at here as far as a capital investment to get kind of be a part of a syndicate, I guess? You know, typically there'll be a minimum investment in these in these projects, and that can range anywhere from $25,000 all the way up to some sponsors, you know, only accepting multiple six figures into their into their projects. You know, we have done a good job, I think, of aligning our values with our investors. We have a lot of younger investors that want to get started in this space that we know. And so making that minimum investment somewhere between 70 or 25 and $50,000 uh, has been a, an important part for our 
uh, for our business. But the structure of these, um, you know, the way that we raise this capital and do these projects does have some limitations. And so we've talked on the show before with the difference between an accredited investor and sophisticated investors. And there are limitations to the amount of sophisticated investors that you can take into these projects. And so there's a fine line of what you have to set your minimum investment at. But typically for FTW, we're 25 to 50,000. Some other sponsors, um, maybe a little bit higher, but that's been our approach up to this point, Jason. Great information. Logan Freeman, Parker Webb. Logan, you kind of talked about an example in one of your emails about the Amazon or an Amazon example about, sure. and you use that to, to talk about why investing in the right partner is so important. It's also a blog that you've written recently. Yeah. Just kind of walk us through that example and kind of why it's so important. You guys have to keep me off my soapbox here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just for a minute, but The Jobs Act of 2012 really opened up this space to many new marketers and many of which who are trying to build lifestyle businesses and only work four hours a week. And so understanding about that. Yeah, I have that book. I have that book sitting up here. You're watching it right behind me. So uh, I'm a big proponent of Tim Ferriss. But in this business, Um, If you are investing with a partner or sponsor, you want to understand that they actually have the operational capacity to implement the business plans that are set forth in the project. And what I have seen happen a lot in this space through podcasts, through books, through speaking engagements, through conferences, is that a lot of great marketers have gone to this space to allocate and aggregate a lot of resources uh, to then go buy real estate deals with no real estate experience. And so uh, I think that they subscribe to this mantra, one that I know we're going to talk about, but it is is fake it till you make it. And the idea behind that is that you shouldn't let your shortcomings prevent you from achieving your goals. Never be afraid to jump on an opportunity and take a position that you not may not be entirely qualified for. I've heard this a lot in the space recently, and I guess it's okay if it's a uh, more of a mentality that you have as a person, but not really practical in the uh, the operations of real estate. You don't want to fake too much uh, in the real estate business. And so, you know, if you're faking yourself into believing you're qualified for the job or the opportunity, you know, eventually you're going to grow into it, um, hopefully, and figure things out. But, you know, I mean, I think that, again, it's a mentality more than uh, it needs to be practical in the business. And so some entrepreneurs have taken that mantra to mean literally fake it to others until you make it instead of using it as a self-motivation tool. And that saying has been hijacked by a lot of people uh, to justify the the self-serving businesses. And I think I will, I will speak to, to a lot of tech investors. That's a Silicon Valley kind of mantra out there is fake it till you make it. And so investing with the right partner is so important because you don't want your real estate sponsors faking anything. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Uh, Ray Dalio talks a lot about radical transparency and being forthright with people. And when we're talking about the sums of money that we are using to, to do these syndications, there is no faking that. And so you have to rely on track record and experience, Jason. There's got to be trust, man. Yes, there has to be trust. There has to be a buy, a belief that, you know, you know, you're doing the right thing and, you, you know, your, your, your morals and your character are high. There's so many factors. I do try to fake it till I make it um, on the golf course. <laughs> and that involves just trying to be the best dressed out there because then people think you're a good golfer, even though you're not. Um, and then you hit a few good shots and you, uh, you, you become, you know, you shoot an 85 and you're average 85 to 90. So, so I do use it there. You used to, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Holmes, uh, you know, I've heard her name more in the media recently. Yeah. Um, I think there's a pot, uh, a documentary about her or something. Uh, 
she kind of what you're talking about with that Silicon Valley model, correct? Absolutely. So, you know, at 19, Elizabeth Holmes dropped out of Stanford to launch Theranos. I've watched this documentary and it was, uh, it was incredibly interesting to me. And it was a blood testing company that vowed to revolutionize the industry with breakthrough technology. And in less than a decade, she become, she became the youngest self-made woman billionaire, bringing up investments from the Oracle CEO, from the Secretary of State, and even uh, the Commander General James Mattis, believe it or not. Um, and, and it was just wild to watch her, um, you know, kind of put this rude on all of these, all these people. And she was touting the fact that Theranos had all this cutting edge technology that would revolutionize the blood testing. And it turns out that that, re- that technology never got even close. In 2012, Theranos released Edison's and that was their product to some stores, but they failed miserably, even falsely claiming that women had cancer, believe it or not, uh, among other problems. And so despite that, she had so much charisma and a gift for lying and leading investors on uh, that she convinced her subordinates to keep those problems under wraps. She, she drugged this whole thing out for 15 years before uh, the grandchildren of a board member finally blew the whistle on her and the SEC raided her headquarters. And so I just think that you have to be really careful. If, if Elizabeth Holmes is avail- if, if, you know, able to get those people on board with a new technology, there, we have to make the assumption that there's people in this space doing the same thing. Uh, maybe not to that scale, right? But I think that there's been a lot of opportunity for people to have a kind of a, a marketing aura about them in this space. And so I just wanted to outline that that example because it's not just happening in the real estate space. It's happening in the tech space and, and big business space as well. Suffered to figure it all out with marketing and with digital media. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. Logan Freeman, Parker Webb are joining us on the Grill Nation show today. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after the break. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us. Uh, however you're listening or watching, we greatly appreciate it. Again, you can connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Jason Grill. We will post links of uh, our shows, podcasts, you know, some of our video segments uh, for each and every one of you to, to view on that on our social media. And also, if you don't want to be on the guest, Grill Nation Show as a guest, just send me an email at uh, grillnationshow at gmail.com. We'd love to collaborate, partner with groups such as the one we're talking to today, FTW Investments. Their website is ftwinvestmentsllc.com backslash Grill Nation, where you can download a free and comprehensive passive aggressive, excuse me, passive investor. I had a little bachelorette on my mind from my <laughs> passive investment guide. We, uh, we're back with Logan Freeman and Parker Webb learning a lot and having some fun as well. Um, I want to start with, uh, with syndicates because that was another blog that you all put up uh, and why real estate syndicates make sense and kind of what they are. So let's start there. For either one of you, kind of take us through what a real estate syndicate is and why they're so popular. Well, I first want to make sure that people understand that we're not a part of the mob and <laughs> we're not uh, the Kansas City syndicate, so it's a little bit different. So um, now these these syndications are simply a, a mechanism or a structure 
for people to pool resources, not just capital, but knowledge and experience together to go purchase or to go acquire something that the, that they would not be able to buy themselves. So a larger property and being able to capitalize on the knowledge and the experience of that real estate sponsor uh, to bring great investment returns uh, to the project. So a syndication is just a is an, a mechanism for people to invest into that gives them exposure to commercial real estate and they get to leverage a sponsor's knowledge and experience. Yeah, let's break some of that down. Take us yeah. through some of the main reasons that real estate syndicates kind of make a lot of sense right now. Let me jump in here and say, so, you know, like like Logan said, this is a structure where, you know, people get to pool their assets, right? And so what that means typically is that we're going to have a, an LLC, a limited liability company that we're going to establish. And then in, investors get to invest into that LLC that then owns real estate investments. And so that provides a whole lot of different benefits, right? So A, you know, sponsors like us who have expertise in particular markets, particular market areas, uh, we can then be in control of executing a business plan to make sure that we have the best chance of producing a high investment return. Um, Two, you have the ability to get diversification. So you have, you know, the ability to go into with any amount of capital, a lot of these syndications and get a broad exposure to a number of different assets as opposed to having, you know, your limited resources go towards one or two or three properties. Um, and I would say three, you have the ability to also leverage multiple different sponsors, right? So I'd say you, you not only have to you know, invest with sponsors like us, but there's a lot of sponsors out there doing different kinds of projects in different spaces like industrial and hospitality and retail. And so you have the ability to go get a, a broad kind of cross section of real estate by, by kind of piecing your money out into multiple properties rather than uh, kind of just going into a couple. So many great, great things. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Again, on the blog, it talks about efficiencies, true diversification, like you said. There's no learning curve. It looks like it's something that people should really be investing in. Um, you, you, we talked about risk. We talked about hedging uh, against inflation in past shows. Low volatility. I mean, this seems like the safer route for people who are, uh, who are really trying to get engaged. The last thing I'll say, too, on that front is the tax benefits of investing into real estate. And so we have multiple investors that have reached out to us and and want to understand how the structure uh, applies to them in regards to being able to take uh, the cost segregation studies and apply bonus depreciation. Probably a whole other segment that we won't get into right now, but one of the main benefits of investing in real estate is it has cash flow, but it has amazing tax benefits to be able to say, hey, we have a paper loss in year one. You know, typically somewhere between 50 and 75% of the invested equity um, that you get to show on your, on your K1, which is your partnership return. Uh, whenever we send that to you in April or whenever that is. And so at the end of the day, the tax benefits of investing into these real estate syndications drive a lot of people into the real estate space as well. Quick question just on kind of what we're looking at here as far as a, a final capital investment. I mean, what is the range? That's a question I probably have asked you before, but I think that's really important right now for people who, you know, the economy is is getting better, but we also still have a lot of issues with uh with rentals and with eviction moratoriums and with, you know, cost of living and, you know, inflation, as Logan has talked about many times. I mean, what what are we looking at here as far as a capital investment to get kind of be a part of a syndicate, I guess? 
you know, typically there'll be a minimum investment in these in these projects, and that can range anywhere from twenty five thousand dollars all the way up to some sponsors, you know, only accepting multiple six figures into their into their projects. You know, we have done a good job, I think, of aligning our values with our investors. We have a lot of younger investors that want to get started in this space that we know, and so making that minimum investment somewhere between seventy or twenty five and fifty thousand uh, dollars has been a, an important part for our. Uh, for our business, but the structure of these, um, you know, the way that we raise this capital and do these projects does have some limitations. And so we've talked on the show before, but the difference between an accredited investor and sophisticated investors, and there are limitations to the amount of sophisticated investors that you can take into these projects. And so there's a fine line of what you have to set your minimum investment at, but typically for FTW, we're 25 to 50,000. Some other sponsors, um, maybe a little bit higher, but that's been our approach up to this point, Jason. Great information. Logan Freeman, Parker Webb. Logan, you kind of talked about an example in one of your emails about the Amazon or an Amazon example about, sure. and you use that to, to talk about why investing in the right partner is so important. It's also a blog that you've written recently. Yeah. Just kind of walk us through that example and kind of why it's so important. You guys have to keep me off my soapbox here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just for a minute, but The Jobs Act of 2012 really opened up this space to many new marketers and many of which who are trying to build lifestyle businesses and only work four hours a week. And so understanding about that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I have that book. I have that book sitting up here. You guys are watching it right behind me. So uh, I, I'm a big proponent of Tim Ferriss. But in this business, um, if you are investing with a partner or a sponsor, you want to understand that they actually have the operational capacity to implement the business plans that are set forth in the project. And what I have seen happen a lot in this space through podcasts, through books through speaking engagements, through conferences, is that a lot of great marketers have gone to this space to allocate and aggregate a lot of resources uh, to then go buy real estate deals with no real estate experience. And so uh, I think that they subscribe to this mantra, one that I know we're going to talk about, but it is, is fake it till you make it. And the idea behind that is that you shouldn't let your shortcomings prevent you from achieving your goals. Never be afraid to jump on an opportunity and take a position that you not may not be entirely qualified for. I've heard this a lot in the space recently, and I guess it's okay if it's a uh, more of a mentality that you have as a person, but not really practical in the uh, the operations of real estate. You don't want to fake too much uh, in the real estate business, and so you know if you're faking yourself into believing you're qualified for the job or the opportunity, you know eventually you're going to grow into it. Um, hopefully and figure things out. But, you know, I mean, I think that, again, it's a mentality more than uh, it needs to be practical in the business. And so some entrepreneurs have taken that mantra to mean literally fake it to others until you make it instead of using it as a self-motivation tool. And that saying has been hijacked by a lot of people uh, to justify the the self-serving businesses. And I think I will, I will, speak to, to a lot of tech investors. That's a Silicon Valley kind of mantra out there is fake it till you make it. And so investing with the right partner is so important because you don't want your real estate sponsors faking anything. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Uh, Ray Dalio talks a lot about radical transparency and being forthright with people. And when we're talking about the sums of money that we are using to, to do these syndications, there is no faking that. And so you have to rely on track record and experience, Jason. There's got to be trust, man. Yes, there has to be trust. There has to be a buy, a belief that, you know, you know, you're doing the right thing and, you, you know, your, your, your morals and your character are high. There's so many factors. I do try to fake it till I make it. Um, 
on the golf course. <laughs> and that involves just trying to be the best dressed out there because then people think you're a good golfer, even though you're not. Um, and then you hit a few good shots and you, uh, you, you become, you know, you shoot an 85 and you're average 85 to 90. So, so I do use it there. You used to, you listen, uh, Elizabeth Holmes, uh, you know, I've heard her name more in the media recently. Yeah. Um, I think there's a pot, uh, a documentary about her or something. Um, uh, she kind of, what you're talking about with that Silicon Valley model, correct? Absolutely. So, you know, at 19, Elizabeth Holmes dropped out of Stanford to launch Theranos. I've watched this documentary and it was, uh, it was incredibly interesting to me. And it was a blood testing company that vowed to revolutionize the industry with breakthrough technology. And in less than a decade, she become, she became the youngest self-made woman billionaire, bringing up investments from the Oracle CEO, from the Secretary of State, and even uh, the Commander General James Mattis, believe it or not. Um, and, and it was just wild to watch her, um, you know, kind of put this rude on all of these, all these people. And she was touting the fact that Theranos had all this cutting edge technology that would revolutionize the blood testing. And it turns out that that, re- that technology never got even close. In 2012, Theranos released Edison's and that was their product to some stores, but they failed miserably, even falsely claiming that women had cancer, believe it or not, uh, among other problems. And so despite that, she had so much charisma and a gift for lying and leading investors on uh, that she convinced her subordinates to keep those problems under wraps. She, she drugged this whole thing out for 15 years before uh, the grandchildren of a board member finally blew the whistle on her and the SEC raided her headquarters. And so I just think that you have to be really careful. If, if Elizabeth Holmes is avail- if, if, you know, able to get those people on board with a new technology, there, we have to make the assumption that there's people in this space doing the same thing. Uh, maybe not to that scale, right? But I think that there's been a lot of opportunity for people to have a kind of a, a marketing aura about them in this space. And so I just wanted to outline that that example because it's not just happening in the real estate space. It's happening in the tech space and, and big business space as well. Suffered to figure it all out with marketing and with digital media. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. Logan Freeman, Parker Webb are joining us on the Grill Nation show today. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after the break. <laughs> 